Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's always been one of the main jobs of fiction in general, and movies in particular, to offer an escape from the humdrum real world into somewhere better. But in the past, those better fictional places at least had some faint connection with reality. Right now, reality seems to be so unsatisfactory, what with war, pestilence, floods, famine and grossly unfair distribution of wealth, that it seems better not just to make up new stories, but make up new worlds to put them in. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Right now, there have never been so many fictional worlds on offer. Westeros and Middle-earth, Avatar, Star Wars, Asgard and Dune that exist because on them there's the possibility of justice you don't seem to be able to get on planet Earth. Oscar Wilde, as always, said it best. The good ended happily, the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. Harry, what is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Huh? All fiction does this after a fashion, of course. The hard-boiled fiction of Humphrey Bogart's Mean Streets, Shakespeare's so-called histories, even the kitchen sink polemics of Ken Loach. They're all made-up stories to serve a point. But the skill of the fiction writer lies in not making it obvious. I, Daniel Blake, am a citizen... Nothing more and nothing less. Thank you. Routine fiction shapes events and characters to fit a preordained outcome. The heroes and heroines may meet obstacles, but in the end they overcome them for no other reason than that they're heroes and heroines and we want a happy ending for them. About those things I said, I mean the way I acted back there. I'm sorry. Let me tell you something. Love means never having to say you're sorry. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Better than the empty calories of the junk food movie are ones that take the story where it has to go and then shape a satisfying ending out of it. Perfect example is one of the ultimate feel-bad endings of all time, the classic Chinatown. The baddies win, the anti-hero Jake loses not only the girl but everything. The cops give him the brush off. Go home, Jake. It's Chinatown. It's Chinatown, Jake. In other words, it's real life and you're going to have to find a way to deal with it. As opposed to making up a fantasy world where you can find a magic doodad to give you what you want or convenient superpowers you didn't know you had. Shazam! 
You have bullet immunity. I'm bulletproof. <laughs> You're dead. This week, once again, let down by real-life cinemas, mostly doling out horror films and animated school holiday fare. I had to whisk into hyperspace, or at least the streaming services. There's a spy fantasy where the biggest fantasy seemed to be that there was an audience for the 355. Officially, I can't put you on this. But if you were to go out on your own... I would need some help. There's an airport book, shaped as a plea for justice, where the cards are stacked against poor but feisty Mila Kunis. Can she really become the luckiest girl alive? I've managed to not eat lunch for six years just to have this joker call me petite. Petite is what they call short, fat girls. I should know. I used to be one. And offering rather more nutritious irony, though less financially rewarding maybe, is a Spanish festival hit starring Javier Bardem, the good boss. But first, it started out so well. What happened to the hot favourite, the 355? The old wars. Cold War. War on terror. We knew who we were fighting. But now the enemy is invisible. They can destabilise entire countries from simple reach of their keyboard. Everything about spy thriller The 355 smacked of hubris. It was certainly the hottest of properties when it was launched at a pre-COVID Cannes film market, prompting an international bidding war. What if five of the most respected female stars from all over the world played the world's top spies from all over the world? A sort of female James Bond times five. We all work for different intelligence agencies. American, British, German, Colombian, Chinese. But now we have a common enemy. And if we don't stop them, let's start World War III. Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Marion Cotillard, everyone an Oscar winner and all gorgeous. And on top of that, Bing Bing Fan at the time, the biggest star in China. No wonder Chinese millionaires were fighting to throw money at the 355. Remember that story that they told us about in training? About George Washington's first female spy during the revolution. They called her Agent 355 because they didn't want the world to know her real name. All right, the title was a slight problem. It needed a lot of explanation, which it only really got at the end. But so confident was producer Jessica Chastain that the world was hanging out for a female version of a male action movie that the 355 remained the title. And then the wheels started falling off. Put your gun down, please. Five, four, three, two, one. Pull the trigger. Or you can listen. Even before COVID ruined the film's launch in 2020, there were problems. First, Marion Cotillard found she was unavailable and needed to be replaced. Failing someone bankable in French, the producers turned to someone German, Diane Kruger. Now, this wasn't a bad thing. Diane's by far the best thing in the movie. We put ourselves in danger so that others are not. I'll handle the guns. Are you in therapy? I should be. But then something rather less easy to shrug off happened. Bing Bing Fan ran into trouble with the Chinese tax department, and suddenly a lot of the Chinese money also evaporated. 
and then belatedly they started looking at the script. It seemed rather familiar to fans of Pulp Fiction. Remember Mia Wallace's failed pilot? What was it? It was a show about a team of female secret agents called Fox Force 5. What? Fox Force 5. Fox as in we're a bunch of foxy chicks. Force as in we're a force to be reckoned with. And 5 as in there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of us. Yes, the 355 is Fox Force 5, played for real. Five foxy chicks up against an evil crime consortium who threaten to use computers to, I don't know, rule the world. I'm guessing this isn't a social call. I'm putting together a team. You're the best in the world at what you do. I thought this was done. I'll be back for dinner tomorrow. Well, nothing wrong with this as a starting point, of course. Hello, James Bond, Fast and Furious, The Expendables, and the rest of the mostly male action movies that still fill cinemas on weekends. But I'm not sure these are the action heroes you want. I am a normal person. I cannot do this anymore. Bad guys are out there right now. You go home. You bring them with you. Are you under control? Are you? No. I'm not saying that award-winning actress and female action star are necessarily a contradiction in terms. Look at Angelina Jolie and Charlize Theron, or Emily Blunt even, or Natalie Portman, or half the cast of Game of Thrones. Give them a weapon and a running start and watch them go. We're the 355. You don't really need a good actor as an action hero. Good acting is mostly a liability in an action flick. Look at The Rock, Bruce Willis, Jason Statham, Arnie. Right back to John Wayne and Errol Flynn, I suppose. There's not usually much introspection there. There's simply the right thing that needs doing. So we need to join forces. Well, the 355 wastes its undoubted acting talents on minimal characters. Two of them are loners, one of them is a family woman, one of them has a boyfriend, the other... I'm sorry, I can't remember what the other one had. A, a cat, maybe. There's a lot of James Bond dressing up to go to the casino and shooting enormous guns and fighting with sticks when the ammo runs out. By the end, it's all pretty stupid. You have cameras in your jewellery, comms in your earrings... This is like half the CIA's most wanted. You bump, I grab. I like the new team. We'll take it from here. So from cinematic peacock to dowdy peahen, in the end, the 355 made a low-profile debut on Amazon Prime and sadly was never heard of again. A more convincing cast might have helped, but what it needed to be was not a female-friendly version of a lot of male movies, but just a movie, one that happened to have strong women in it. If there really was a female equivalent formula to that male favourite, let's put together a gang for one last ride, it may very well be this. It's the opening of a film currently sitting at the top of Netflix's top ten right now, Luckiest Girl Alive. My name is Ani Finelli. Soon I'll be an editor at the New York Times Magazine. Your voice is simply peerless. And in six weeks I'm getting married in a lavish but tasteful ceremony. Meet Arnie Harrison, nearly, once she's married millionaire playboy Luke Harrison. 
She's currently working on Madison Avenue at a glossy, slightly trashy magazine called The Women's Bible. But she's on the way up. There's an offer to join the far more prestigious New York Times magazine. Luke comes for money. Let's go, babe. But I have something no trust fund can buy. The Edge. Love my work. Hate babies. I'm this close to the life no one thought I deserved. Well, so far, so Sex and the City and all the rest of those aspirational bestsellers. But there's more to the story, hinted at by the casting of defiantly blue-collar Mila Kunis as Arnie, who actually started out as humble Tiffany. Tiffany Finelli from very much the wrong side of the tracks. This is Arnie. Nice to meet you. Mr. Larson, it's me. Tiffany. Tiffany? We flash back to her first days at a top school thanks to a scholarship. And soon afterwards, something happened. Something that Tiffany famously survived. And now, at the worst possible time for the renamed Arnie, that something is about to be raked up again. I'm working on a documentary about the incident at your high school. There are still so many questions that you've never answered. People want to know, were you a hero or an accomplice? Will Annie finally break her silence about what happened? Which account is the truth? Will Annie's carefully constructed new life fall to pieces? All this makes Luckiest Girl Alive seem like it could have been a pretty good book. Maybe not Catcher in the Rye good, but certainly a worthy member of Oprah's Books of the Month. How could you not tell me about this? I carried this horrible thing with me alone for years, and it has built up this rage inside of me. Honey, get out! Don't touch me! But writer Jessica Knoll had bigger fish to fry than merely worthy. This was a story she had a deep personal connection to. Like her character Arnie, Knoll was involved in a traumatic event at school, and also like her, she's fiercely ambitious. I don't know what's me. And what part I invented. Your former classmate has made claims against you. Don't talk about what happened that night. Are you seriously trying to threaten me right now? Not that there's anything wrong with wanting a big, fat, best-selling hit. Look what it did for the writers of Gone Girl and Girl on a Train. If Luckiest Girl Alive does nothing else, it proves the staying power of a page-turner with guns, violence and the word girl in the title. It's 2015, and people still act like marriage is some sort of crowning achievement for women. That is a trap I did not fall into. Some people prefer to really feel like they're holding a knife in their hands. I dove in headfirst. The film version starts well. Well, starts well twice, in fact, establishing the two parallel stories of Arnie Tiffany. Tiffany trying to keep up with the in-crowd at school, no matter what, is all too convincing. And so is Arnie, years later, trying to pretend the stories she's handed at the women's Bible aren't totally demeaning. In each case, novelist-screenwriter Jessica Knoll is clearly writing from the heart. Heretofore, it is his birthright to marry a blonde insect of Norwegian descent with a gender-ambiguous name, like Landry or Devon, who can spot my grift a mile away. But writing from the heart and sticking to the facts aren't what the readership of a best-selling sensation really wants. In real life, ratbags get away with it, decent people find the justice system isn't on their side, the statistics of when poor women accuse rich men are staggeringly awful. Who wants to read that? 
you have to get into the nitty-gritty details for the whole world. Do you like your life, Tiffany? Sometimes I feel like a wind-up doll. So, the answer is to turn to fiction. That's where the rich and guilty get punished by the poor and honest, where culprits confess at the drop of a hat, and talented young writers move onwards and upwards. Because talent, like virtue, is richly rewarded by the noble people who run this mythical world. It's about the importance of all of us speaking freely, even if people want to silence us, so that we can become the kind of women our younger selves would admire. I'm hearing from women who have never shared their stories. From women who have carried this horrible... You can see why Luckiest Girl Alive is such a hit. It knows exactly what it's delivering to an audience that right now really wants to believe a story like this can happen, if only for a couple of hours. It takes real life and then gives it the ending it deserves. Don't we all want that sometimes? Turn my key and I will tell you exactly what you want to hear. A film like Spain's The Good Boss looks as if it's setting out to deliver a happy ending. Yes, star Javier Bardem seems to come out on top with cheers and applause all round. But how good a boss is Blanco, really? He runs a big factory that makes measuring scales, big industrial scales, small household scales, with the implication that his life has to be in balance. Well, the good news is that Blanco Scales is on the shortlist for a coveted award for business excellence. The bad news is that, unfortunately, for the sake of balance, you understand, sometimes some members of the Blanco family have to be let go. The departing young interns merely cry into their hankies. But long-time workers like Jose refuse to go down without a fight. It's all because Blanco is, frankly, too good a boss. His motto, he says, is, My door is always open. Your problems are my problems. Well, obviously not troublemakers like Jose, now camped outside the factory with a bullhorn, but certainly his longtime friend Morales, whose work is suffering because his wife tells him she needs more space. Easy, says his boss. Let's go to the club and meet some friendly women. Morales resists, but Blanco already has his eye on the new intake of interns. How can he help them? Jesus. There are all sorts of people who need helping, particularly where Blanco sees an advantage to himself down the line. And because Javier Bardem as Blanco is so charming and likeable, it takes a while before we realise what the good boss is up to.
Writer-director Fernando Leon de Aranoa is one of the most successful filmmakers in Spain, and The Good Boss has won just about every Spanish film award going. Now, this is ironic, since the film is about Blanco's obsession with awards and trophies, and how every decision he makes is about getting the latest one. Escándalo en medio de todo el mundo. Mira, Jess, está fatal. El problema que yo tengo con mi marido no son cosas tuyas. Perdóname, es que en el momento que perjudican a mi empresa son mis problemas. You think you're getting into one of those workplace farces the French are so good at, with the feckless businessman getting himself into more and more trouble the more he tries to do the right thing. But that's not where this is heading. Blanco thinks he's doing the right thing because everything that works for him and his business must be, by definition, being a good boss. As he says, sometimes you have to trick the scales. So he quietly keeps putting his thumb on the scales, so to speak, to make the result come out the right way. The right way for him, of course. Now, some critics claim that The Good Boss is a depiction of the famous banality of evil, which I think is putting more weight on how unusually evil Blanco is. But the point, and of course the point when Hannah Arendt originally coined the phrase banality of evil, is that he's no more evil than other shifty people in his position. This is business as usual for the self-styled good boss. And when the judges of the Business Excellence Awards finally come to the factory to be buttered up, it's clear they know exactly what Blanco's like. They're all like that. Excelencia. Incidentally, Javier Bardem is brilliant in the film. No one sells deviousness wrapped in charm better than him, and the final lingering shot of his unsatisfied smile is probably the reason for the many awards he won himself this year. Sometimes the bad can end both happily and unhappily, and those are always the best movies. And speaking of ending, that's the end of this show. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.